Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, November 20th, 2015. Today we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 7. The very first paragraph will be read for context, and then we'll comment on that second paragraph. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Jane B., the 12 Traditions, Anita L. The readers of our text today is are Kathleen W., Charles H., and Iris G. The share ID code, the four-digit number, for Thursday, yesterday, November the 19th, 2015, is 8210. That's 8210. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jane B. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice, for your service. This is Jane B. in Minnesota, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Jane B. I will now ask Anita L. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia, recovered one day at a time. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Uh, eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. And thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. 
then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Now today, we resume our study of the big book on page 7, the first paragraph that begins with my brother-in-law. We're going to read two paragraphs, one for context, and the second red paragraph we will focus our shares on. And I'm going to ask Kathleen W. to please begin reading. Hi, this is Kathleen W. from Phoenix, Arizona. Can you hear me, Janice? Oh, yes, you're fine. Okay, great. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mentally and physically physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. <clears throat> so I wanted to focus on it relieved me somewhat to learn that alcoholics, that an alcoholic's will was amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, or in our case, compulsive overeating and binging. Though it often remains strong in other respects, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. So I knew that my will was weakened when it came to combating my eating disorder, but I could not do it on my own. Um, but I, was not, I wasn't one of those who had a strong will in other areas. Um, when I was binging, I couldn't function, and it was really hard for me to even do the simple things, like around my house, you know, or I would call in sick. And, and I just felt immobile you know, the morning after a horrific binge. And I had an incredible desire to stop my binging, and it was all-consuming all in my life, but I didn't even know what was wrong with me back then at my bottom because I had never studied the big book or the doctor's opinion. I didn't know about the twofold allergy, and I didn't understand myself back then at my bottom um, when I was probably 19, early 20s, but I do know now, now that I've studied the, the big book and I learned what the problem is with me, and I also have learned what the solution is today. And I'm grateful that today I don't have to use self-knowledge, which for me back then in my bottom was laxatives, diet pills, self-help books, diets, and I'm sure all of us on the line could add to our list of self-knowledge. And I'm grateful today that there is a solution and it's in the big book, Interesting and Relying on My Higher Power, which I choose to call God. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Kathleen W. Okay, who would like to comment on what was read for approximately three minutes? Just a reminder. 
surgery, I, I, I fared forth in high hope. I thought that was the answer. Um, after the second liposuction surgery, um, each about, I don't know, seven, $8,000 of money that I didn't have, I, I also fared forth with high hope again. You know, um, I understand myself a little bit better now. And, um, you know, I had lots of reasons after the first marriage 
you know, uh, I, I, I contributed to that destruction. Uh, I fared forth in high hope. Um, after the second marriage, I fared forth in the high, in, in high hope, you know, um, none of, you know, none of those were, were the answer. See the, you know, from the, you know, this place of destruction, see, we, we mobilize the power of God through working the steps. And the power of my creator can't be mobilized simply by dieting, liposuction surgery in my case, reading OA literature, going to church temple or the woods to pray, you know, should, shouldn't it? But, but it didn't for me. Learning about myself through a book, uh, professional therapy, meditation, service, that's what it's going to do. So I'm going to do some good deeds and that's going to uh, mobilize the power of my creator. Um, going to meetings every day, tons of phone calls. I'm going to outwork you. See, that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to, through my hard work, I'm going to be more deserving than you. So I thought I'm going to work faster, smarter than you. You know, my creator is not some errand boy to be used to, you know, fetch me some peace. You know, I don't say, you know, my creator, how may you serve me today? You know, um, the thing is the, 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 uh, the power is accessed through working the steps. You know, it's the working of the steps that are designed to bring me into alignment with my creator. And I became changed, transformed. What other words to Bill, does Bill use? Awakened, restored to sanity through this process of work that we call recovery. Because we don't think our way into true humility or, or love or greater tolerance. No, th these, these really become like actualized once the actions of the steps unblock us from our higher power. Of course, the strange mental twist that kept me tethered to the food was removed. You know, believe me when I tell you, that's the least of the changes that unfolded for me. You might just be surprised what other miracles are in store for you. You know, some people on this line, other than me, are not eating and they're not eating happily. You know, thank God for, for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry. Okay, Sally A., you're up. Thank you, Janice M. Good morning. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. This is such a wonderful story, Bill's story. I just, it's absolutely my favorite. I'm sure a lot of people identify with me that it's a favorite because it really is my story. It's just so well put down on paper, making it easier for me to communicate to others um, and triggering my, my, my weak and missing memory of what happened to me. And in this paragraph, I'm reminded of the 30 years that I was in OA, like I was wandering in the desert. You know, this last sentence in the previous paragraph, I know you don't want me to share on it, but I'm just going to touch down on it for a second. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. This is me coming to OA at the age of 22 years old with an eight-day-old baby and a two-year-old little girl. And here I was finding out what was wrong with me since I was 14, and I realized that I was entrapped in this food, in this mental craziness. That, I, that was originally fun, fun, fun. It was party time. It was eating buddies. But it wasn't fun anymore by the time I hit 22 years old with these two small children and when I came to OA. And here when it says the will was, is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating 
the food in my case. And, you know, for me, I was a very disciplined person. I would practice the guitar four hours a day. That was not an easy thing to do with, with children. I was very disciplined with, in many regards. But when it came to the food, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating the food, though it often remains strong in other respects. And so when it comes down the page here, it says, for three or four months, the goose hung high. When I came to OA, I had five years at one point of abstinence. My whole focus was the allergy of my body. I was white-knuckling it for five years at a time, eight months at a time, over a year at one point, over the course of 30 years. I had lots of great diets in OA. That's what I see here. I fared forth in high hopes. I did. I looked phenomenal. I was great. I walked in swinging my hips like who I was because I was abstinent, but I wasn't well. I had a clear understanding of the problem, the body and the mental problem. The body was clear. Mentally, I wasn't so clear. But bodily, I was clear, and I was very, very focused on don't let any sugar or flour get in my body. And I wanted that almighty gold coin, that ego gratification that I could stand up and come to the front of the room and get my coin, that I was abstinent, that I was thin, but I wasn't well. For three or four months, for years, the goose hung high. N-O-A. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer. Surely OA was the answer. Surely I was thin. Surely this Hi. was the answer. Thank you. But the bottom line was I didn't understand the solution was my higher power. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. And thank you, Sally A. Reva P., you're up. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Montreal this morning. Um, what struck me about this paragraph, um, and it's wonderful, and it was wonderful to understand, to get explanations, um, and to have self-knowledge. However, for me, Knowing intellectually is not the same thing as knowing by experiencing and doing. So in the rooms, when I first came to my first uh, meeting, as the 12 steps were read, I mean, I laugh at this now, but as the 12 steps were read and as the preambles were read, I listened and I thought, I'm a smart person. I get this already. Why are people here so many years? Why is it taking them so long? I understand it. I'm done. I'm going to do the six-month program, graduate, and get on with my life. People must not be educated. (laughs) So um, I now understand that if I want recovery, I need to do it. It's the action. I can explain to the cows come home to a sponsee about all the promises and all the uh, turnarounds from step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and all the steps. But it's only by doing and experiencing that I get recovery because self-knowledge, intellectual knowledge does not do it for me. I have to do the steps. I have to do the work. I have to take the action. Um, and that's all I wanted to share. I passed. Hmm. 
Well, thank you, Reva P. Kim G., it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. You know, as we eat near the end of Bill's nadir into this alcoholism, you know, maybe we're trying to identify out at this point. Maybe we're saying, well, we didn't go to Bill's extremes, or maybe we're not specifically like these examples of Bill. I just want to remind us what a lot of us talked about in the beginning of the story was asking, did we think like Bill sank, did we feel like Bill felt, and did we eat like Bill ate? So how was this thinking? Did we square off and just simply get back in the food? Look at the progression. He was disgusted by people who were jumping from the towers. Then he asked himself, should I kill myself? No, not now. On the prior page, he was dragging his mattress to the floor, afraid he was going to jump out the window. And in the next couple paragraphs, he's going to be welcoming death. Do we see that progression in the way we are thinking? You know, did we eat like Bill ate? You know, was it fun and excitement in the beginning for him? It was definitely eating was a way to release, to, to celebrate on the weekends. Then it became necessity for Bill. Was it becoming having to be part of your daily idea? I have to binge every day. You know, and it's, did it, it progressed to oblivion now. Is it now just about getting numb? You can't get anything out of the food except getting numb. And did you feel like Bill felt? What, does what the food does for you, what the food did for me, it didn't do for others. You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. You know, I think about when I hear people talk about Thanksgiving and their memories are about, oh, I remember last year with Ann's divorce and remember when Susie's kid got in trouble and remember the wonderful idea of so-and-so getting engaged. And all I remember is that Aunt Mary Ann didn't come with her favorite apple pie or I didn't get enough leftovers. You know, that's the way my mom. We can't hear you, Kim. Sorry, I just, I had, the man was talking. But I want to share, you know, now as a recovered person, you know, when, when I think about what the food does for me versus others, I find it interesting to observe normal eaters, to understand the contrast. We have a bake sale at my office once a quarter, and it was yesterday. And it's just interesting to me to watch how other people are with food. You know, people leaving a half a piece of something on their desk. You know, people sharing what they bought in the bake sale with other people. You know, the next day, noticing people throwing out stuff because, oh, it's no longer fresh. I forgot to eat it yesterday, and I am just, I'm just don't want it now. Or even someone I remember one time telling me, oh, this was so good that I don't want to eat it all at once. I want to save it for tomorrow. You know, if that's, is that my experience? No. You know, what the food does for me, it doesn't do for other people. So just, again, to encourage you to look at these stories, get out of those particulars, and ask yourself, as this has progressed, did you think like Bill thought? Did you eat like Bill ate, drank? And did you feel like Bill felt? And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. Anyone else who would like to comment on what was read, focusing on paragraph two on page seven? Is it, uh, did Missy or Melissa or somebody, Chrissy? Who else would like to? Nancy J. Melissa C., yes. There it is. Nancy J. and Melissa C. Anyone else? Barbara B. Barbara B. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Corey A. Corey didn't get the last initial. A. Okay. A. Let's go with those. Okay. We'll go with those four. Nancy J., please, you're up. 
Hi, this is Nancy James, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Philadelphia. Um, I read this paragraph, and I've read it before, but it's like, you know, you're a different person each time you read this book, and I read this paragraph, and oh, I could relate uh, so much. Um, my journey really began when I was seven years old. Um, I knew I, I, when I'm looking back now, I knew I always had a propensity for some foods and you know, love those foods. In fact, that's how my mother would get me to eat all my quote-unquote good foods by giving me, promising me this, this other food. And when I was seven years old, I entered third grade. I'm African-American, and in, Af- in the African-American culture and community, there is um, what Yana Van Zet and her book talk about, the most undiagnosed, the most untreated pathology, and that's colorism. And what that is, the hierarchy around the skin color. It's a legacy from slavery and colonialism. When I entered third grade at age seven, um, my teacher was a man, very light-skinned with green eyes. And there's a saying in the black community, if you're white, you're white. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, get back. And I was the only dark-skinned girl. I didn't pass the brown paper bag test, which was another test. If you were lighter than the brown paper bag, you were fine. If you weren't, you were not okay. And I did not pass the brown paper bag test, and all the other girls did. The teacher never called me by my name. He called me Farina Buckwheat and Four Eyes. When I left his class, I had no self-conception before I got there, and when I left, I was suicidal. I didn't want to live. I never called myself suicidal because that, in my family, was not okay to want to kill yourself. But what I used to say is, I wish I was never born. Um... Why God? And I would ask God over and over for years and years and years, why did you make me dark? Why did you make me ugly? Why did you make me female? Because I realized that he didn't say that to the boys who were darker than me. And so I carried on with the food, with my salvation. And then I ate and ate because I was trying to kill myself with food. And then in 1990, I got diagnosed with an illness, which made it got crystal clear. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to keep living when I was living the way I was living, and I found my doctor Silkworth. And she said to me when I went to her and told her what was going on, she said, don't look at this illness as your enemy. Look at it as your teacher and your friend. And she said, how is it here to teach? What is it here to teach you? How is it here to befriend you? And then she said, would you consider changing what you eat? Because at that point, I used to tell people I lived on fat, sugar, and preservatives. And I said, sure, because I didn't want to die. And unwittingly, what I didn't know, which I know now, didn't know then, what I... The way the, the program that I did went on completely took out 99% of my trigger food. So, therefore, it appeared that I had absence when I didn't. And so, but for 15 years, like Bill, for 15 years, you know, I did okay. And then life happens, hit a huge speed bump. Things went, started going really wrong in my life, and I face planted down the food. 2009, I start working for. I lost my job. I went for working for another company. And Time, yeah. Time, okay, I'm in, the, I'm in the food. And what I want to say is that in OA, I finally got the answers. And I have been abstinent and since, since um, December 2013, and I will be coming up on my two-year anniversary in 2000, uh, this December, two, December 18th. Thank you for letting me share. And thank you, Nancy J. And just a gentle reminder for all of us that we're commenting on paragraph 2, page 7. And thank you, Melissa C. It is your turn. Hi. Good morning, Janice. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, 
you know, I'm thinking about, like, the, the progression um, and how, for myself, you know, um, it, at one time, although I always had an obsession with food, the binging fit, um, it, it fit into my life, you know, and then, and then it progressed where my life had to fit into my binging, and then binging was my life, and there was nothing else but. Um, and so, you know, I do remember getting some self-knowledge, and, you know, the first time I came into OA um, and stayed for a while, um, I lost weight miraculously fast because I had discovered the answer, I felt, you know, Stay away, like people had said, be abstinent. Just be abstinent no matter what. And I remember someone saying to me, no matter what, don't pick up. Don't pick up no matter what. And that sounded so logical. And at that point, um, you know, self-knowledge got me just so far. My problem is, is I have a spiritual malady. And so I will always pick up unless I've been you know, transformed, and this is what I hear, you know, is, is so clearly lacking in this part of, of Bill's story that, uh, you know, is the spiritual transformation has not occurred yet. It's just operating on self-knowledge, and, um, you know, and that's operating on self, you know, and myself has never been able to solve this dilemma for me. And, um, you know, and so that for me has been the big learning the big realization that I'm learning over and over and over again. Um, I Anything that I cannot solve by myself, um, I was not designed to solve by myself. And so all of my problems, including this one, my, you know, my overeating, it's meant to draw me closer to my higher power. And I find my higher power through my fellows. And through my fellows, I find my higher power. And so you know, I'm just, it's becoming more and more clear to me that um, that Bill isn't recovering yet, <laughs> nor did I recover because the, the higher power was the, the Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Melissa C. Barbara B., it is your turn, and then it's Corey A. Thank you. This is Barbara B., recovered compulsive reader in Massachusetts. And in looking at the directions in the big book and what they mean to me, I say to myself as I see myself in Bill's story at this point and look forward to seeing myself in his beautiful recovery, uh, bodily and mentally, uh, it takes me back to, to go to the prior paragraph when I was hospitalized. Uh, I had four adult children. I was hospitalized in a psych ward because of a breakdown from the food addiction, from amphetamines used for dietary purposes, for from antidepressants, and there I was locked up. My married daughter had to come and care for things. Uh, and the day that I was released, I said, like Bill, now based on what I know, this is not going to happen again. And the night I was home, I remember it well, this called it up. At midnight, the house was asleep, and I went down and watched television and binged. And my daughter heard me and could not believe what was happening. And I couldn't believe it myself. I mean, when he talks about accomplishments and the will, I mean, I came from a very poor family. 
you know, worked hard to be educated, continuing all that, continuing to, you know, marry, buy a house. All the accomplishments that seemed so insurmountable had happened. But when it came to the food and the behaviors of the mental illness, I was hopeless, helpless. And when he says previously, was I crazy? Yes, crazy. So when I came to OA and it talked about being restored to sanity, I was very insulted, but it was the truth. And so, you know, one would think that knowing this and having this experience would not cause me to go back when life came unmanageable and unbearable to, to food as a possible solution, but it persisted until I came to this reality of the fact that God can do for me what I can't do for myself. No hospital, no therapist, no doctor, no treatment, no family, no nothing can do. God can do for me what I could not do for myself. And if I follow these directions, my story will end like Bill's. Thank you. I pass. And thank you, Barbara B. Corey A., you're going to be our last sharer before we go on. Please go ahead. Corey A. Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Great. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm Corey A., a grateful recovering compulsive overeater from North Carolina. And I, I'm happy to share the, um, the, the sentence that keeps coming to mind is something that many years ago I worked in a drug and alcohol retreat, uh, drug and alcohol treatment program, um, of which I was not a member. Um, I was just a staff person and we were required as part of this work to go to open AA meetings, um, once or twice a month, um, in, in the hospital where I worked. And I stole a line from one of those meetings um, that comes back to me every time I do, every time I find myself returning to fundamentals. And it's, and this particular line brings us up. It's the, um, where he says, um, surely this is the answer, self-knowledge. My favorite quote from all of AA period is, nobody is too dumb to get sober, but there are plenty of people who are too smart. And I am, I'm definitely an example of being too smart to get clean. Um, I've been in um, that my the, the, that job at the drug and alcohol treatment program at least helped me realize that I needed Al-Anon and OA, and I'm so grateful to the people who shared that they had long periods of of externally um, what what it looked like recovery from the outside um, because they were getting thin and they were you know they thought they were following the program they were doing what you know what they were supposed to do and they were really smart about it you know very very smart cookies I am. I am a smart cookie. Um, the, uh, you know, and then I got so smart that I went to medical school. And when I went to medical school, everything started unraveling. But it couldn't possibly be, it couldn't possibly be that I wasn't smart enough to get the program. Obviously, I was smart enough, you know. But um, I, my belief in my intelligence on a regular basis has tripped me up and tripped me up and tripped me up. And I am here today because I'm, I'm, I'm watching other people return to a state of true sanity and, and peace uh, through studying more intensely the, the, the few pages in the big book. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was very snotty about this. It's like I've read that again and again and again and again and again. What can I possibly learn from it? 
by reading it yet one more time. And yet here I am, you know, for the first time in I don't know how long, feeling like I I have a glimpse of what recovery what recovered might look like. And with that I'll pass. Thank you. Mm, and thank you, Corey A. Okay, we're going to go on to that third paragraph and we're gonna ask Charles H to please begin reading. Hi, Charles H., a recovered visionary calling from Yonkers, New York, represent. But it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain. It seemed to me my weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would, she would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. Charles H., a recovered visionary, calling from New York. Um, I want to start off with saying, don't you ever become so recovered that you don't, that you don't think you could ever relapse again? You you know what? I am not discrediting abstinence. I am not. You know what I'm thinking about on this on this this whole page here? Phenomenon of craving. Phenom. There's more. There's more, Charles H. That you can that you can shed. There's more. There is more. Food plan is always under construction. Yes, I pray. Yes, I meditate. But I want to jump down here. After a time, I return to the hospital. I keep going back to the hospital because, you know, there's people like me. Yesterday I was on the bus going to work. You know, you guys always know I'm on the bus going to work, living in New York. And I heard this gentleman talking to the bus driver saying, I can't wait till next Thursday and, you know, um, I'm going to fill myself to the gills. I identify and I had a tear in my eye. I had a tear in my eye because that frightful day came when I binged once, once more. You know, my bodily health fell off like a ski jump. I so identify in with that. That This was the finish. But today, but today is a new day, right? Um, I, I returned to that hospital. You know, I returned to, to those, quote, unquote, weak OA meetings. I returned to anywhere that want, anybody that want to hear the message because phenomenon of craving is killing millions right now. You know, and, and 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 thank God for Doctor Silkwork, right? Saying, "Bill, yo, chill, man. You can't be t- jumping, um, taking people off the bar stool, talking about let's pray and meditate." Can you imagine me going into McDonald's talking about take that big mouth, big Big Mac out your mouth, let's pray and meditate? No, no. We need to discuss the the physical aspect of this disease, and once you get some abstinence, then we can start talking about the program of action. He says it clearly in the doc's opinion. More than often, it's imperative that a man's brain be clear. It says it clearly. So I don't never want to become so recovered that I don't think that abstinence is paramount and key, the key ingredient to recovery. Because abstinence plus the program of action equals recovery. Yes, page 85 tells me I'm not cured. Yes, it tells me I have a daily reprieve, a, a, a daily sentence, a, 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 a reprieve from the death sentence. It tells me all that. 
That's why I need to continue in this study, continue, and continue to return to the hospital to, to go try to carry this message. That's why I say 10, 11, and 10, 1, 10, 11, and 1. I don't know if I'm helping somebody, but you know what? Bill W. showed me that he helped himself stay abstinent, and hopefully somebody will get a message. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Charles H. Okay, who would like to share for about three minutes? Malky, this is Amy. Leia, Amy G. I hear, I hear Amy G. Lynn S. I heard, I heard Leia M. And I heard somebody before. I think who? Yes, Malky. Who? Malky. Could you spell that, honey, for me, please? M M A L K Y. N-A-L-K-Y. No, 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 not N. M, M like in Mary, M. Got it, got it. M-A-L-K-Y. Okay, we're going to have Amy G, Leah M, Melky, and one more if we stick to three minutes. Sarah W. Yeah, there we go. Okay, let's go. Amy G, please, you're up. Great. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Amy G. Thanks for your service. I'm a recovered compulsive over. You're from Maryland. But it was not. What is it? Well, let's review from the last paragraph. It was self-knowledge. Bill had tried to fix himself based on his self-knowledge. So what's the problem with this word? In my, my humble opinion, the big problem with this world is, is this word, self-knowledge, is self. What I tried to do in this program for the first five years of, in Overeaters Anonymous was to try to use myself, my will, and my knowledge to fix myself. And it talks about this in step one, that we've warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive eating that we can't, we don't know without providence, God, in these 12 steps, we are powerless. And I didn't know that, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I kept thinking that if I knew more, if I did this, if I did that, that somehow I could fix myself. But a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And it talks about this in the vision for you. On page 151 and 152, it talks about how Bill was feeling before he jumped off back into the drink. You know, they went wrong, and the ex-problem drink drinker smiles and says, no, I'm okay, I don't miss it at all, I feel better. And inwardly, it says here, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness as such as you do. He will be at the jumping off place he will wish for the end. I can understand where Bill is right now because I did the same thing. I tried to use my self-knowledge to fix myself and I could not. My mind in this area was warped and I could not stop myself from starting again and then I could not stop once I started. It was the jumping off place where I didn't know that I could live either with or without food. But yet, this is a foundation upon which we build our program because that, for me, was the ultimate of step one, admitting my absolute 100% powerlessness, regardless of what I knew and what I tried to use with my will. I was absolutely at game ground zero when it came to this disease. And that's where Bill had to get to, and that's where I feel we all have to get to, is that 100% admission of powerlessness, no matter what we knew. The saying in the rooms is, OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because you know too much and it ruins all your binges. I could binge just as easily with all I knew, a belly full of food and a head full of knowledge. That's not what this program is about. 
It's about a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I needed the 12 steps, and I needed God. So that will pass. And thank you much, Amy G. Layer M, you are up. Thanks so much. The screws of the disease of alcoholism are definitely uh, tightening themselves on on Bill, you know, but it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. And, you know, I identify right in. I mean, uh, this idea of self-knowledge, you know, our text teaches us that the actual or potential alcoholic was hardly an exception. And that even means people on this line will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And I relate. You know, my disease took hold of me at a very young age. Uh, You know, I didn't necessarily have the terminology terminology down, but I knew I was a compulsive overeater. And I began reading self-help books, and I began visiting psychiatrists and therapists. And I became a very smart compulsive overeater. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I did not know what I was up against. And I didn't understand the depths to which this disease would drag me by the roots of my hair. Um, And so I understand this language here, but it was not for the frightful day came. I understand that because, remember, Bill here, you know, the goose hung high in the previous paragraph, uh, you know, for three or four months, he was sober. So, you know, it became (laughs) smashing in my face that I was making a decision to go back. Why was why could I not connect the dots? Why was I not learning from the consequences of my behavior? It became very clear after I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried again, stopping thousands of times, why couldn't I stay stopped? It was like my pain had no memory. When, you know, I, I would uh, just go back, it was like my brain was being hijacked. The big book says it the best when it says we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness without sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink, against the first bite. So when I would go to bed at night crying with tears of frustration and hopelessness, with threats of divorce, with the mental torture and the emotional turmoil that was going on. When I said, I will not binge again tomorrow, I will not do this anymore because I cannot take it anymore, I meant that. I really did. I meant it. But come next day, whether it was 10 in the morning or 10 p.m. at night, I'd be digging my fists in those bags and boxes with such an urgency and a desperation to binge my brains out, you know, and it was going to take something much, much greater than me, human will, self-knowledge, intellect, to save me from the self-destruction of this disease. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Okay, Malky, we have two, maybe about two and a half minutes apiece. Malky, it's your turn. Hi, it's Malky. I'm a compulsive overeater from New York. The first time I'm sharing, so I'm a tad nervous. Um, To me, it's amazing when I hear you all because it's so good for me to hear that. I thought when I came into program, just get me thin. Just get me thin and beautiful. Like I'm coming here because I'm frustrated and I'm, just one, and then I started hearing about God, which I knew there's a God. I grew up with a God. So, like, what are you mixing it up for me? Like, like, just give me a diet. Get me thin. You sound like you're a cool group, you know, who are doing what they're supposed to do. 
And then I realized, like what I said, yes, first thing I have to do is get myself abstinent because getting myself abstinent, getting the sugar out of my body and the obsession and all the rest could lead me to a godly relationship, to even begin to have a meaningful relationship, not just a God like, okay, God, yeah, you're there, you know, for the big disasters or for anything like really huge happening. But, you know, for little me in my house or my family, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to bother you. But, no, this program has taught me so much. It's amazing. I came in really honestly, just get me thin. Get me thin and good looking and then I'll be fine. But it's not that way. I realized that. And another thing I realized for myself is that, number one, yes, you first have to get abstinent, and then you could preach, I mean, not preach, then you could live God, and that's the same way when a new person comes in. Just get yourself abstinent and get try to help that person get abstinent, and then you could get a spiritual experience. And the self-knowledge had me for a very long time. For many years, I thought, no, you're fine, because you know program. You know the big book, and you have a fellowship, and you're fantastic, so, so you slip and you slide. Self-knowledge availed me nothing. What it was a false belief that just because I know, then I'm fine. Like I used to say, I'm one of those faithful ones. I don't come to OA or to Big Book and then afterwards say, oh, mm, it's not for me. I'm going to try balls behind my ears. I'm going to try Weight Watchers. I'm going to try this. I'm a real faithful person. I come. I believe this is my place. So that was relying just on self-knowledge that I know this program and just because I know it and just because I have a fellowship, you know, I'm fine, even if I slip and slide. And now I realize it doesn't matter, my self-knowledge. Self-knowledge gets me nothing. Self-knowledge is just an illusion to myself, to my own false belief that, okay, that you're, you're, you have something, but I don't have it. So today I humbly say and I ask God to continue giving me the humbleness admitted because I don't, really my nature is not to be that way. It's like really, I'm fine because that's my disease. And I never, ever, ever want to go back to that place of promising myself and, and, and promising myself that for that wedding, for that, that brother's wedding or that niece's wedding, I'm going to fit into that and never getting there and just never and being so, or even getting there, yes, getting there and literally for the second of the wedding, I'm even by my, by the, my, my brother's wedding, I literally was in the gown for a second and then I was off to my binges because I couldn't. I couldn't do this on my own. So thank you all. Yes, and thank you so much, Malky. Sarah W., it is your turn. Star one. Thank you, Janice, for your service this morning. Good morning, Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. I, I want to keep it short, but I think the thing for me is, you know, um, it, it's it's all about surrender and the lack of humility to surrender that put me into a relapse like I was. And the idea of um, really being able to say what I have done has never worked. It doesn't work. You know, after five years of abstinence and having a healthy, normal-sized body after being 222 pounds when I came in the program, I realized how progressive my disease was when at the end of a five-year relapse, I ended up at 287. Not only 287, but I couldn't breathe couldn't take care of myself. At 56 years old, I was extremely short of breath and diagnosed with COPD. Uh, you know, just really so out of shape, high blood pressure, 
on the way to diabetes, you know, and the thing is, I really had to put up the white flag and say, I cannot do this. I need help. The thought I had in my mind is if I could get my weight down by using a Weight Watcher style program or a Nutrisystem or whatever, that then I could do it myself. And that really was never true for me because I couldn't stay stopped. So I'm so grateful today. And I just want to, want to share one last thing. Uh, on the way to a treatment facility, we passed through a graveyard. We passed through um, uh, a hospital. And all the things that can happen can happen to us. I think some people think that the food is much lesser, a much lesser evil than alcoholism. I don't believe that's true. It's just not on the death certificate. With that, I pass. And thank you so much, Sarah W. And I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. So please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Iris G. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Iris G., Recovered Compulsive Reader from New York. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. That is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.